This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you. And uh, hopefully it is a beautiful Saturday morning, and everyone is enjoying the morning. Today's program is being taped. Um, I taped it the day before uh, because I have a previous engagement on Saturday morning since it is the birthday of one of my grandchildren, Audrey Ella Katarathara, and we will be celebrating that. And I want to take some time to wish her a happy birthday. I also want to thank uh, many of the well-wishers who emailed me uh, inquiring and wishing me good health uh, after I revealed last week that I did have COVID and did have symptoms from COVID. Uh, I assure you I'm feeling back to uh, my normal self and back to work. And as always, I enjoy getting emails uh, from all of you. You can get them to me at info at Dot com, And in one of the emails, the issue was raised that if you looked at the track record of the United States as compared to sub-Saharan Africa, the people in sub-Saharan Africa did not have the advantage of vaccine, and yet their COVID infections have stabilized. So isn't this an argument against using vaccine? And the problem with that analogy is you're comparing an industrialized nation like the United States to sub-Saharan Africa. In the United States, we see a lot of air travel. And that has been the real problem, as we all know. Right? This, this virus started somewhere else. It didn't start in the United States and spread here, both from Europe and from Asia. So if you're going to draw an analogy about vaccine and vaccine effectiveness, you really need to compare apples to apples, which would be the United States with other industrialized nations. When we do that comparison, we haven't done so well. We've had more vaccine hesitancy, more vaccine denial than many of similar European nations. And our death toll continues to rise. So while I enjoy getting emails and love to hear people's perspectives, um, I think it's important to um, have a discussion about those comparisons. Uh, my guest today in the second half of the program is going to be my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa. And uh, Stephanie is the Director for Sports Neurology at Hartford HealthCare. And we're going to be talking about persistent symptoms after concussion. She sees a lot of sports concussion and people with concussion. So there's been this 
issue of whether you have a post-concussion syndrome, right? They, you hear that term a lot. And it, it has the connotation that this concussion is still going on. It hasn't ended. When that's not the case, there's a, a finite end to concussion, but you may have some persistent symptoms, and those symptoms need to be treated as symptoms. If it's a headache, treat the headache. You're not treating some global problem. So it's going to be great um, to chat with her. We actually taped the interview uh, last week while I was still in my 10-day quarantine. So we did it outside with masks, uh, and uh, uh, and it, it worked out pretty well for us. Um, so I hope you'll you'll enjoy that in the second half of the program. This day in medicine, April 23rd, 1931. Dr. Francis Xavier Deacom uh, passed away. Now, uh, Dr. Durkham was uh, a collaborator with Dr. Edward Maybridge. And it's interesting. What they did was they produced the first photographs of normal and pathologic gates. So looking at people walking and recording that with photographs. And they are both neurologists, and in neurology, it is such an important part of what we do today. So you will look at someone and their ability to walk and their problems with walking and often be able to make a diagnosis. I often uh, tell people that when I greet people in the waiting room and walk them back to the room, I've already done half of my neurologic examination. So those videos are important. They're especially important in sports when we're looking at a, an injury, whether it be a head injury, a neck injury. So video has become an important part of what we do. I had a patient come in last week um, who was having uh, involuntary movements of his leg. He brought the video on his phone. And I was able to detect that that was what we call a partial seizure, a focal motor seizure. So the video has become an important part of what we do, and uh, it's uh, thanks to uh, our predecessors um, who have passed on. The COVID stats for here in Connecticut. The numbers keep rising, right? We're at a positivity rate of 7.6%. Uh, and uh, last week, when we looked at this, our positivity rate uh, was 6.26%. Now, again, I qualify these numbers by the fact that they are only based on PCR tests. So this is not based on any home tests, which in many cases are where people first find out that they're positive. The death toll in the United States related to COVID-19 also continues to rise. The U.S. death toll is now over 990,000 Americans who have passed away in some way related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we remember those souls. Um, With that, we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to talk about, well, the topic everybody is talking about these days, Mask or no mask? Uh, Looking forward to chatting with all of you. And again, if you wish to email me at info at alessimd.com. 
You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Welcome back to Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you for this second segment. As I mentioned uh, just before the break, the cases continue to rise, and we believe they're due to a new variant, uh, the BA2 variant. And we're starting to see the greatest rise right here in the Northeast. So it's almost a typical pattern where we see the rise here in the Northeast, and then it starts spreading south and, and further west. But what's been in the news this week has been the issue of masks. Now, for regular listeners to our program, you understand that masks work. Masks have been around for over 100 years, right? When we had the Spanish flu epidemic, we used masks. Why? Because they are a physical barrier to spreading virus. So we have evolved to some degree in terms of the types of masks. Now we know that KN95 or an N95, there are some masks are better than others. And we're encouraged to use those. They've also become more comfortable from that standpoint. But they are a physical barrier. So that means that if you are infected with the virus and don't know it, you wouldn't be able to spread those respiratory droplets to someone who is near you. Equally important is if they are also wearing a mask. So two people wearing a mask really is the most secure barrier against spreading a respiratory virus. I think that's common sense, but I don't take anything for granted anymore. But this past week, a Florida judge voided the mask mandate for travelers, meaning that she has voided the CDC's recommendation that you wear a mask when traveling on public transportation, including airplanes, buses, trains, subways. She felt that, and, and I quote, masks only trap the virus. Well, it's exactly what it's designed to do, is to trap the virus so it doesn't spread. So airlines rapidly supported this right because they're tired of being the enforcer of the mask rule and it seems like the mask masks are like the achilles heel here in the united states with covid um they they're you know impacting people's freedom and there's less need for responsibility but one recent poll just shows that most Americans, 56% of those Americans who were polled were in favor of continuing to wear masks on airlines and in public transportation. And certainly, I will be wearing a mask. I still wear a mask whenever I'm indoors. Only 24% of people were against using masks, and 20% uh, didn't care. So we're faced with a real issue here in the United States right now, and that is who determines public policy in terms of health? Is a national health policy, should that be determined by 
an appointed judge or should it be determined by health experts? Because across the board, health experts believe that masks work. And in conditions where you are close together, right, in, in a subway or on a train or on a bus, a mask is a barrier to spreading virus. So we need to make some decisions here as Americans as to how are we going to go? Are we going to take the advice of our doctors, our personal physicians, the people who have studied this the most, or in this case, a very young uh, judge who is relatively new to the bench in Florida who can tell the rest of the country what to do. Um, Then it's interesting because in Philadelphia, right, so last week, well, it was two weeks ago, but we talked about it last week, Philadelphia brought back the mask mandate indoors. They decided that their numbers were going up, so they would go with masks again. And granted, there are people, there's always somebody who's going to sue and wants to see their name in the paper. But, okay, so after two weeks, the numbers have come down, and the city of Philadelphia pulled back the mandate. It's not that hard. We're not talking about rocket science here, folks. You look at the numbers, you look at the data, and you see if it's going up or down. Instead, despite numbers going up here in Connecticut and continuing to rise, we still seem to lighten up and don't want people wearing masks, which always brings up the political decision, right? Because it's an election year and uh, we don't want to lose those votes. Well, you're going to lose people's lives, and that's a problem. Um, Another article just came out in in the New England Journal of Medicine I wanted to talk a little bit about is, so how protected are you with vaccination and getting two boosters, right? Because for many of us who are older, right, you're going to get the second booster. Um, I got mine, but unfortunately it was... You know, it takes two weeks after you get the booster for you to get antibodies. But in this case, um, they found that if you got two boosters, your immunity and antibodies on average should be at a high rate for about six months. If you contracted the virus and you had full vaccination, including the two boosters, your immunity should last a year. So, again, these are estimates based on science, based on the numbers. Are there going to be exceptions? There certainly are. But it's the best data we have when looking at this, and it's the best information to work off of. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest today, my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa. She is a neurologist. She is the director of the sports neurology program at Hartford Healthcare, which is a phenomenal program uh, and working with uh, athletes throughout Connecticut and nationally. Uh, And uh, we're going to talk about persistent symptoms after concussion. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 
Welcome back to Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce my next guest, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa, also known as my daughter, Stephanie, and she is currently the Director of Sports Neurology at Hartford Healthcare and Hartford Hospital, and she recently gave a Grand Rounds presentation at Hartford Hospital. As many of you know, Grand Rounds is when specialists all get together to discuss current topics that may help us deliver better care to our patients. And the topic was persistent symptoms after concussion. Now, many people are familiar with the term post-concussion syndrome, but this is a different variation on that. And I thought it was worth having her on to uh, discuss that. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get right into it. Persistent symptoms after concussion. What are we talking about when we use that term? That term is a more recent uh, reboot, if you will, of the former post-concussion syndrome because it's more accurate, really, to say that they have persistent symptoms after the concussion. The concussion um, really, you know, resolves after the first few weeks, and then the symptoms, if they persist, it's really on the order of three months to several years. But that does not mean that you're still concussed. It can mean that the concussion itself has resolved, um, and really you're just sort of trying to put the symptoms away and, and manage those symptoms at that point to, to help the person feel like themselves again. So let's be clear then. So there's the connotation that post-concussion syndrome is the fact that the concussion continues to happen, that there's continued damage as opposed to persistent symptoms after concussion, because we know that it's a static event, correct? Correct. So I think that's so important to clarify, but what are some of the symptoms you see commonly after a concussion? When we talk about persistent symptoms, what are a lot of those symptoms? The symptoms include headaches, uh, neck pain. You can have uh, pain at the back of the head related to the neck that contributes to headaches. A lot of dizziness people complain about, um, <clears throat> which is related to either the neck strain itself or eye tracking issues that maybe were not addressed. A lot of times the sleep patterns can be off uh, and, and these are really important to identify because even just improving somebody's sleep and hydration uh, can really improve their uh, ability to feel like themselves again and really put the symptoms away. Would you say that headache is the most common symptom? Yes. And. Can you describe that headache for us? Because there are so many different types of headache um, in terms of migraine, which is a, a throbbing headache lasting four to 72 hours. There's this variation. What's the most common type of headache complaint you get after a concussion? Probably the most common is something called occipital neuralgia. And that's where the nerves at the back of the head uh, really are sort of a sharp electric squeezing feeling in the back of the head that's typically related to a neck strain that may have come from the head injury and is just not treated and, and, and put away or even identified a lot of the time. But another major type of headache a lot of times is also a migranous type of headache where there's light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, nausea. These, these types of persistent migraine features can also be present after concussion. What's interesting about what you're describing is the fact that the neck plays such an important role 
in concussion and headache itself. Uh, in dealing with professional bull riders, we see that their heads go back and forth a great deal, almost like a whiplash type of motion. What I'm getting to, um, Steph, is, is there often confusion between people who have had a neck injury like a whiplash type of motion and concussion? Because the two are not the same, because we know concussion is a brain injury and the whiplash is more of a neck injury. Is that a common problem you come up against where people think they've had a concussion but are dealing with something totally different? Yes, actually, that does happen quite a bit. And, you know, a lot of providers and, and physicians that are maybe not head injury specialists do tend to find that every, they consider every hit to the head a concussion. And that's just not true. So it's really important to think about the mechanism that's been involved in the head injury and, you know, what forces and, and what symptoms kind of started. A lot of times I can explain all of somebody's symptoms because of a neck strain. And, and that's a common issue when you hit your head, your neck is right there and often does get injured at the same time. What's sad is I think that with popular press, a lot of people become invested in the diagnosis of concussion um, from a psychological standpoint. Does that add, does that get in the way of the length of time that it takes people to recover? Yes, I would say when, when patients come to me after maybe a year even of their injury and their symptoms persisting for so long and being told they are concussed and then I have to sort of explain to them why maybe that's not true and what we can do about it. Uh, you know, it, it can be a difficult discussion and it can be hard for the patient to, to understand, but it's an important distinction to make in order for them to recover. So it's, it's, uh, it is a challenge that I, I do find can affect their recovery because they're sort of being treated as, as a concussion when they were not concussed. And, and so, of course, that's very important. Let's get back to length of time. You mentioned uh, at the outset three to six months. Um, is that typical what you will see with persistent symptoms if we're dealing with a true concussion and someone has persistent symptoms? Is that generally the time frame of three to six months for persistent symptoms? Because, I mean, many people have a concussion and get better in 10 days. Sure. Yeah, when it does persist, it honestly, there, there is no, uh, no timeline that I can provide them because it's sort of a you know, course correcting and we just kind of make changes as we go and follow closely. But really it, it starts around three months and then we would, you know, see patients even years later uh, with symptoms if they're not being addressed. So as long as we're addressing the symptoms, they will improve. So it, it's not really easy to say, you know, oh, it'll be a year or it'll be three to six months. And it can be misleading for patients because if they just wait around for that period of time to wrap up, then they're still left with their symptoms. So it's, it's not really uh, you know, helpful for them to, to give a timeline. I try to just say, we're gonna follow closely and we will keep making changes as we need to. And, and they sort of like that plan a little bit better too. And, and we can all follow the progress together. Uh, by way of definition, you know, I've had patients come to the office who have had symptoms for three days and say they have post-concussion syndrome. Do you usually use the three month? In other words, if symptoms last beyond three months, does it then fall into persistent symptoms um, and not shorter than that? Correct. I don't use that term um, unless three months has been the time frame. 
Uh, I find that, you know, certainly, of course, the media plays a role in this, but I think the, the connotation that comes with being labeling somebody as post-concussion syndrome or persistent symptoms after concussion, you know, really puts them into a box that they feel there is no more hope. And, and that's not true, but I think that it, the labeling is really important. And I, I try to avoid that and, and do a lot of patient education about those things. And, uh, but I would not use that term until three months at least. Let's talk about recovery. Uh, what factors do you find really influence the recovery after a concussion? I think there's definitely some notable prolonging factors. There are things that somebody can have in their history that may contribute to a prolonged recovery and things like migraines uh, as a history or mood issues, things like anxiety or depression or uh, prior traumas in their life. Uh, as well as having ADD or ADHD. Those factors actually are, uh, the research is showing that those contribute to a prolonged recovery, even with, with, with anybody who hits their head, if that's in their history. So those factors you know, can play a role certainly in their, their treatment plan because we really need to address them. We really need to make sure that they are addressing their migraines, addressing their mood, um, and that's how they'll recover. So it's important to identify what are their factors that may prolong recovery. What are some of the things you can advise people to do to recover more quickly after um, a concussion? In the acute concussion phase, I would say the important things to keep an eye on would be their neck as well as their eye tracking and sleep patterns, hydration, making sure they're keeping up some level of routine. A lot of times patients are told to rest and rest and rest. Uh, and, and after the first two days, I would say that's not really appropriate anymore. And they really should be moving more. They should be trying to get their sleep back on a normal schedule. No more napping at that point. And these small changes, honestly, in the lifestyle can really improve somebody's recovery and turn them around quicker because they'll feel more like themselves. Okay, in terms of treatment, what kind of things do you recommend in terms of physical therapy? Uh, and, and I want to touch on many people have suffered a traumatic event, right, as part of the definition of traumatic brain injury or concussion. How do you address that traumatic event? Great question. So the, the mood issues as well as post, like a post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress um, from an event really is important to identify at the outset if possible but i may not be able to pick up on everything in the first visit of course so you know it's sort of a working process but i would say you really need to ad address them with psychotherapy and there's different types of psychotherapy actually that target different things so if somebody's got ptsd they may benefit from something like emdr treatment uh, which helps them sort of put the visual flashback things away um, and there's, you know, for anxiety, I would say using cognitive behavioral therapy is very helpful. So there's even different techniques amongst psychologists um, that can be effective depending on what the issues are. But certainly physical therapy, uh, like I was saying, for the neck strain, for vestibular or eye tracking issues is very, very effective and it really treats the problem and puts it away. You know, a lot of patients come to me after seeing a massage therapist or doing some acupuncture or even seeing a chiropractor and those offer temporary relief but really physical therapists that we have at Hartford Healthcare really know how to comprehensively treat this specific issue and um, 
their their collaboration with my patients and with myself has been really uh, a game changer. Steph, in closing, what's the message we want to get across today to our listeners regarding people who are suffering from these persistent symptoms after a head injury? The message I'd like to give those patients is that this is not a hopeless situation and that they really should seek out a specialist with head injury expertise in order to address their um, you know, their, their issues and, and really help them get back to their life. And that, that, again, this is not a hopeless situation and there is quite a bit that we can do. Um, in terms of uh, reaching out to our office, uh, we're Hartford Healthcare Sports Neurology Program. Our phone number is 860-524-4330. And we're in Hartford, Connecticut. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you for all you're doing for the community. And uh, obviously, uh, your mother and I are very proud of your accomplishments at Hartford HealthCare and being to able to help so many people with this serious problem. Thanks, Steph. Thanks so much. In closing today, uh, I want to bring up a sad story that I heard. Now, we're, we're all hearing a lot of very sad stories related to what's going on in Ukraine and with the Russians attacking and murdering civilians. I recently heard a podcast and they talked about the people who have stayed behind to do their jobs, to kind of keep the country going. And one group of those people were zookeepers. The zookeepers in Kiev um, were back at their job to keep these animals alive. And of the 375 employees, 50 stayed behind to feed the animals and care for them. And it was a touching story. because So these people went and got their families and moved their families into the zoo so they could be there 24-7 with the animals. And many of the animals were shaken by uh, the bombs going off and um, they would calm them to try to keep them in some way relaxed despite what was going on. And they were nervous because the zoo is actually near a military base, so they were always afraid that some errant bomb would come to the zoo. Many of the people actually lived in what was being built as an aquarium underground, so it served as a makeshift bomb shelter. And the story went on and interviewing these folks. And the feeling there was we need to keep the zoo going because eventually this is going to end and this would be a sign of normalcy that things went on. Sadly, I heard this week that many of those zookeepers were murdered um, at their post at the zoo. And... It saddened me to hear that these people who were doing the right thing to comfort, whether it be another person or an animal, um, they were doing such a noble thing. And it's important to recognize that these people have died nobly. And I just want to 
ask everybody to maybe say a quick prayer that there's an end to this war and peace will come to all those people involved. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa, for spending time with us. Many thanks to our studio producer. Anthony Dorenzo is kind enough to put this taped program all together. He's there with Tom Conley-Wilson. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week on Healthy Rounds, we're going to be discussing brain tumors with one of the true experts in this, Dr. Ketan Bulsara. Dr. Bulsara is the chair of neurosurgery at the University of Connecticut. His specialty is brain tumors. And we really want to find out. I mean, this is such a feared diagnosis for all of us. What's new? And which way are we going? Are we having some success in treating brain tumors? As always, I'll be taking your questions during the week at info at alessimd.com. If you missed any part of today's program, you can get it on the Healthy Rounds podcast. You could download it at Odyssey or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Next up on WTIC is Law Talk with Attorney John Matulis. Please remember to get vaccinated, stay safe, and keep your family safe. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.